turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. We spend some time focusing on a part of the world that is filled with some of the most mystery and intrigue, particularly for overseas travelers that have ever been there. You know that the sights, the sounds, the noises, the the places certainly capture and tend to cater to absolutely every one of the senses. That said, this part of the world also has one of the fastest growing populations, the fastest growing economies, and the fastest growing branches of the church. We're talking, of course, about the continent of India. And joining me today in studio, who is here on behalf of our friends at Mission India, we are so delighted and pleased to have Pastor Sam with us today. And Pastor Sam, welcome. Good to see you. Thank you, Craig. It's my pleasure to be here in your studio today. We hear so much about India in the news these days, sometimes about politics, sometimes about the skirmishes and challenges taking place in some of the neighboring states, places like Kashmir, certainly Pakistan, uh, certainly much in the news to talk about India as kind of the, the other Silicon Valley, the other major computer hub of the world. But aside from the political questions, the economic questions, the growth that's taking place in India today, there's that other big, important part of the story that I think my listeners in particular are really interested in and concerned about, and that is what God is doing in India today. The growth of the church there. Tell us what's happening. Well, Craig, uh, India is a country with a lot of paradoxes. You have extremely rich. There are extremely poor extremely educated, extremely illiterate, extremely religious, extremely forgotten. This dichotomy, you know, goes on and on in every sector. You talk about politics, economics, social structure, and of course, in the church. There are big churches and we praise God for them. But at the same time, in 1.2 billion people in our country today, only 3.7 know the name of Jesus Christ. And the churches in cities, by and large, in every part of the country, you have a big churches which are called the mainline churches, mainline denominations. They're more bogged down with a kind of a, a, a work within the compound walls of the church. And the Great Commission work has not been taken seriously so far. That is one of the main reasons why we are unable to reach the unreached unengaged people groups in our country. There are 4,635 different people groups in our country. Out of that, only 1,000 of them are reached today. 
So when you talk about a composite of what the the 1040 window looks like, the whole mm-hmm. missions opportunity window for the world today, there's probably no better example of the need in terms of the variety of languages and people groups and physical geographical territory and religions than India today. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if India is a microcosm of the the world missions picture. You're right. Uh, there are people who speak 1,600 different languages and dialects in our country. Wow. And the uh, Bible is very closely translated, to, translated into 100 languages, not more than that. And there is a great opportunity now today because doors are wide open for the gospel, even though there are persecutions, animosity. You know, there are oppositions, there are kind of state-laid laws of anti-conversion laws and so on and so forth. That's the one side of the story. But the other side, we see the Spirit of the Lord is speaking, uh, sweeping over the country uh, more vibrantly than ever before. You know, people are seeking for truth. For years of their struggle and efforts for finding who's a real God today, people are trying to come to a point okay he is a jesus christ is a real true living god you know pastor sam the scripture tells us about the places in which the seeds can be sown and they can go into rocky soil and really not produce much or sand not much they can also go into fertile soil and then bear forth a strong tree with much good fruit it it, it strikes me given the degree of religiosity we'll call it of india uh hinduism of course the predominant religion there though mm-hmm. we see a lot of influence of islam particularly toward the north mm-hmm. uh i guess it can singular to be said of india one thing for sure there's a tremendous spiritual hunger amongst the indian people isn't there there is um if you i mean since you made a mention of uh, the hinduism there you know uh we have a uh, 300 million gods and goddesses and a lot of gurus movements you know um not only indians you know the indian religiosity attracts even the other country people you know coming to india to learn about the culture religion and so on and so forth and uh, hindus you know they are very very religious as you rightly said they have a deep passion to know the truth deep passion to know god and uh, in search of that they go from place to place temple to temple god after god but the end of the day do they have a hope do they have a love do they have uh, accomplished what they're uh, seeking for the answer is no mm. so there is a kind of a disappointment kind of a frustration you know um that uh, prevails in uh, in the minds of the people well if you're constantly seeking a god that cannot be found or constantly trying to appease god or to not make god angry at you or jealous you can readily understand why there's such a tremendous sense of a lack of fulfillment or satisfaction i i the contrast in my first trip into india and going into a hindu temple and seeing the priests there oftentimes wearing robes and with uh, 
paint on their faces and ringing bells and engaging in incantations and the burning of incense and the lighting of candles and all of this. And I, I was struck by the knowledge that man is working awfully hard to try and appease God and reach God. But there's a stark contrast between that sense of man trying to reach up to God and the message of Jesus Christ. We were talking a bit about this off the air. Elaborate on that point, would you, particularly in terms of how you go about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with this unknown God, the God of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham? Uh, There is a lot of... uh, um See, one side we talk about the religiosity and the passion, you know, to know God, reach God, appease God. And the other side, you know, uh, we find what the, what the Bible says, what Bible talks about it. You know, um, it's not me going and seeking God. Instead, in the Bible, we find that, you know, God is seeking the lost. The Bible says he has come to the seek the lost and um, it's not god demanding from me something it is me demanding god mm. you know those are the things that you know um uh, are the points where you know um people come in contact with okay i think here is a god who's seeking for me the image of the Shepherd leaving the ninety-nine, leaving sheep the ninety-nine, and you know, to find the one. One, you know, that is something. It's not me giving sacrifice. He has sacrificed for me. It's not me doing bloodshed. It is He who shed His blood on the cross of Calvary. So some of these things, you know, and uh, the one important thing, Craig, here, a lot of them they don't understand. How how does this beautiful creation has come into existence? Because there is no mention of the beginning of the world, and there is no mention of the ending of the world. Well, and the belief system is very cyclical in that sense. Mm-hmm. If I have bad karma this time around, maybe next time I'll come back. It'll be better. I'll yeah. be different. And the cycle goes over and over and over again. That sets up a tremendous sense of hopelessness. I would think you're right. And somehow they wanted to come out of that cycle and they have no way out. And Jesus comes and tells that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is where, you know, the cycle is broken. Mm -hmm. In other words, they are delivered from the cyclic. And now I talk about the beginning and you have an eternal. We'll take a brief time out in this juncture in the conversation. We'll come back to more of our look at what God is doing in India today. Our conversation with Pastor Sam from Mission India continues in just a moment here on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to the conversation. We continue our visit today in studio with Pastor Sam. He is here on a brief uh, visit on behalf of Mission India. As we pick up the conversation, we can say, okay, I live my life. I raise my family. I serve my God who died for me. Mm -hmm. And then I go on to a permanent, eternal, and never ending not cycle of frustration and hopelessness, but of reward, entering into 
the temple of all temples. You're right. In very heaven itself, with mm-hmm. very God himself. I mean, once that message is articulated, it's shared and explained, is it any wonder that that the average Indian, the average Hindu would say, finally, now I see. That actually allows them to think, you know, um, a lot thought of thought process begins, you know, because they'd been doing something for years together mm-hmm. and suddenly, you know, somebody comes and tells that, you know, this is what is available here. And uh, that's what exactly they're looking for, for years together. Where do I get this? Inter- internal peace. Where do I get that nirvana, a kind of an mm-hmm. eternal abode? Yes, you know, and you know, I come and say, you know, this is what this has happens uh, with the the life, death, and the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. You talked earlier, Pastor Samuel, about the idea that there is a sense of some of the the old mainline denominational churches that are kind of. Cloistered. They're kind of behind the walls of the compound, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I think there are some strong comparisons with even the church in America. As much as we've traditionally, historically had a passion for moving beyond Judea into Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, we're still very self-focused on our programs and the numbers of people in the building project and what's the revenue look like this month and things of this sort. And And yet I'm wondering, clearly the message is going beyond the compound, that there are churches and evangelists and pastors like yourself engaged in a movement of the Holy Spirit, where either because of the efforts or sometimes in spite of the efforts of the church, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit of God is doing something phenomenal in India today, even with some of the stagnation, as you you suggest. We are still seeing one of the fastest-growing populations of the body of Christ in the continent of India today than Anywhere else in the world, what do you attribute that to? Uh, what what does it imply? You know, uh, which means that God is at work. Only okay, and uh, secondly, you know, the doors are wide opened, and the Word of God says the harvest is plentiful and labors are few. Now, what we need in in our country today is the laborers who are willing to go, laborers who are willing to work hard in the in in the field of God. Mission India is an organization, you know, had been working in India for almost 30 years now. And um, they have developed a program that would really take the Great Commission into the unreached places, the end places in our country for the last 30, almost three decades. For example, literacy. India, as you rightly mentioned right in the beginning, that, you know, people talk about Silicon Valley, fully populated with Indians. You know, if you pick 10 uh, most influential people or the richest people in the world, there will be at least two Indian names or three Indian names there. And we praise God for all that. But that's not the India. You know, it's it's a country with a paradoxes. 69% of rural Indian women cannot read and write their own language. And India is supposed to be one of the most illiterate nation in the world as for the survey is concerned. So you have extremely intellectual, but at the same time there are quite a big number of illiterates. That, of course, makes the mission before the church a bit more challenging in the sense that obviously it complicates discipleship if you lead someone to Christ 
most naturally now want to teach them more about the Jesus whom they are following, what better vehicle but by God's Word? And yet if they're illiterate, that sets up a stumbling block. So there's more work that has to be done. There's a bigger challenge, perhaps, at some levels that the Indian church is facing as contrasted to a church in the first world, you know, maybe in North America or wherever the case might be. But yet God is still, even with all of those barriers, doing some phenomenal work there. Phenomenal uh, things because uh, the, the Indians, uh, provided we give them the truth in love, mm-hmm. they're already religious. We don't need to create a kind of a religious attitude in their life. They're already religious. As you also mentioned, you know, that soil is actually prepared soil. If we can change or exchange, rather, the religion and the religiosity for relationship, Mm -hmm. that also helps us to get a glimpse as to why we see such a tremendous sense of passion. I've attended Indian churches and seen preachers that, my goodness, just so on fire and full of God's Word. Mm -hmm. We see the sense of the sacrifice that people within the Indian church are willing to make, the kind of persecution, quite frankly, mm-hmm. that they are subjected to. We know especially in, in parts of the north along the border with Pakistan and areas where there's a stronger Islamic influence, mm-hmm. it's not uncommon to hear stories of churches that are literally burned down to the ground, pastors that have been kidnapped and and beaten and left for death. I mean, these kinds of stories that almost is reflective of the book of Acts early church, that level Your, of persecution. Right taking place in India today, right, yeah. but alongside it, too, a movement of the Holy Spirit and growth of the church, in spite of the fact that there's not Christian radio, there's not a lot of literacy, things of this sort, many of the, the trappings that we think of in the Western world that are necessary for evangelism, mm-hmm. we see wholly absent from India, and yet in spite of that, God, by the very power of his Holy Spirit, moving and working amongst his people. So while we see... Book of Acts style persecution going on. We also see Book of Acts style growth, don't we? Multiplication is happening. Yes. Yeah. Um, in India, like uh, persecution is the sign of the church growth. Not only in India, I think if, if you uh, go through the the history, I mean, from the first century till today. Oh, almost anywhere. If you anywhere, show me a place you know, on planet Earth where the church is being persecuted for its faith, pastors are being arrested, evangelists are being jailed, almost without exception, I'll show you a place where the church is growing by absolutely unfathomable numbers, Mm -hmm. but not just numerically, but also there's a spiritual depth uh, that is absolutely almost uh, without comparison. Mm -hmm. There's a love and passion for God and his word and a relationship with him. And again, I don't mean to suggest that this is demeaning of Western styles of Christianity. But if you are a Christian in India, you've counted the cost. You're right. Haven't you? It demands. It demands that there be a price paid. Yes. And yet we know that the rewards are... (laughs) In store Literally, for us. you know, out of this world. Yeah. Uh, and so the church is willing to pay that price. That, that's willing. You know, right now, one of our partners who works with us in the southern part of India, um, the last uh, one month, he's receiving a lot of threats from uh, anti-Christian elements. Mm-hmm. And these could be Muslim in origin. They could be Hindu in origin. Yes. 
they could be anybody but mm-hmm. you know kind of an anti christian you know, sure. they don't want to see church existing in that part of uh, um, the uh, country and uh, they threatened him number of times and you know they also gave him ultimatum saying that you know by so and so time if you i mean a clear this place we will be killing you off and mm-hmm. you know for last four, uh, couple of fortnights he's literally hiding away from those places mm-hmm. but his wife gathered strength courage and she visited the area you know uh, last week just to see how his hard uh, church or uh, the, their church members are doing are they also threatened or they intimidated continuously by these people so the opposition threatenings animosity prejudice and all that you know are a day to day and i mean like it's kind of an everyday affair if you really want to be a good christian and you know uh, uh magnify christ through your life we'll take a brief time out in this juncture in the conversation we'll come back to more of our look at what god is doing in india today our conversation with pastor sam from mission india continues in just a moment here on this edition of lifeline And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to the conversation. We continue our visit today in studio with Pastor Sam. He is here on a brief uh, visit on behalf of Mission India. We mentioned at the start of our conversation today, Pastor Sam, about the phenomenal economic growth that mm-hmm. India has been experiencing. And, and perhaps only second to China yeah. are we seeing uh, just spurts of economic growth that are uh, absolutely unfathomable, certainly in comparison to any other part of the world with the current economic challenges globally yep. that we've been seeing since the economic meltdown of 2008. Has this complicated any of the outreach for the church? In other words, are you seeing Western-style materialism coming in that now is complicating the message of the necessity for a relationship with Christ? Um, when uh, 2008, you know, when the financial situation gone into volatile um situation like uh some of the organizations which are exclusively dependent on the western funding and you know things like that i was told that you know they have almost come to a close there are two different kinds of ministry happens in india one is a program oriented one is soul winning oriented anything that is program oriented you know once uh, the fund flow stops they stop but soul winning goes on and on and and uh, this may come as no surprise to you but it's very much the same way here in north america as mm-hmm. well yeah. and you also find the one that tends to be more program oriented is much like the seed sown in the rocky soil. It may flourish for a slight season, or you may see what you think is growth that actually turns out to be a weed. And then the minute a test of a life storm comes along, it's quickly washed out to sea and bears forth no fruit at all. And yet the one that is focused on soul winning mm-hmm. and discipleship and sharing of the gospel of Jesus That's Christ, planting God's word, 
uh, those are the ministries that not only are planted in fertile soil, they not only survive, but they thrive in the end. You're right. What do you think um, is the biggest challenge facing India today? Um, There are three uh, important issues, actually. Number one is literacy, as I mentioned, you know. That's a, uh, the greatest need in our country today. You know, um, because of uh, literacy, illiteracy, you have uh, poverty. Because of poverty, there is a spiritual darkness prevailing. And they're all interconnected. If the Indian rural women or men are educated, or make a shift from illiterates to literates, there is a possibility of a social transformation, spiritual transformation, and also economical transformation happening. Women are treated as a substandard human being. Even as we've seen, certainly not all of the caste system disappear, but it certainly has changed very dramatically over the last Uh, few decades. Caste system is still existing in some uh, villages, most of the villages in India. Um, You know, uh, but Again, the education, you know, it's changing that, things. That, yeah, but changed. you're still noticing s- extreme degrees of challenges for women. Women, you know, mm-hmm. there are at- uh, a lot of atrocities are happening to them uh, in the name of dowry. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's the biggest uh, social evil. You know, the government of India has banned a dowry system in 1961. They made a law against it, but even then, despite of all that. You still hear about uh, the dowry deaths almost every day in some part of country. One of the stories that we are mentioning about, you know, um, you know, who has gone through that agony. There are so many people of that, you know, uh, uh, classification. And uh, some of the Indian women cannot really speak out their pain, speak out their agony. Number one, because they're not educated. Number two, they're not earning members. Number three, the cultural barrier is there. And it's interesting, this, this, this pull that's going on in Indian society yeah. today then, because you think of the struggle that women are facing, and yet the influence of so much wealth, because largely of the way the world economy has changed and the, the, the creation of the so-called Silicon Valley of India. Mm-hmm. And then you see the influence of... of, of just pure outright secularism through things like so-called Bollywood. Uh, I've seen some of the films, and I think, you know, with the exception of maybe some of the dresses that are worn in the music, you would think that these productions are coming out of Universal or Paramount right. <laughs> in yeah. Hollywood, California, and not in, in New Delhi. So it's interesting the way there's, there's a pull for the attention yes. of India in so many ways, and at the same time that we see an increase in wealth, and yet, not a major shift yet in terms of opportunities or treatment of respect for women, huge degrees of hunger for spirituality, explosive growth of the church, and yet some aspects of the more mainline denominational church still kind of behind the compound walls. Yes. It's, it's yeah. India today in many respects then economically, spiritually remains this this very mysterious 
convoluted yeah. gathering of, of comparisons and contractions at so many different levels. It's fascinating. I think this is a high time that, you know, these uh, compound-centered, the mainland denominations has to think beyond the box, come out with more vigor, more passion towards the Great Commission. And uh, when that happens, you know, the emerging churches and, you know, the other um, communities, you know, who, who are involved in a kind of uh, evangelization of the unreached peoples in our country, um, when that happens, we will be able to see that, you know, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess, you know, that Jesus is the true living God. Take a moment, if you would, Pastor Sam, and share a bit of your passion with our listeners. If you could have the opportunity to have a chance behind the pulpit at a church here in the Bay Area on a Sunday morning to share what you would think would be the the, the biggest issue on your heart, the message that you would like to share with the church in America about the church in India, what would that be? What would what would that passion or concern or observation be? My passion and my uh, concern uh, as for the Indian church is concerned today is that they need to come back to Great Commission. As you rightly mentioned, I think, a couple of times in your uh, um, deliberations that, you know, uh, the Acts of Apostles has to be repeated. It's repeated, actually. Only thing the mainline church has to realize it. You know, we cannot just keep quiet when things are happening around. We cannot be insensitive, you know, to, you know, uh, the things that are happening around. That becomes foolishness. And when we become, uh, uh, when we are able to realize the prompting voice of the Holy Spirit, that this is the time God is at work in India. I think we have to move forward. Because there may be a day when the doors will be closed. There may be a day when things will get much harder. But now they are wide opened. And people are responding more uh, rapidly than ever before. And the Church of God back in India, mainly the, the denominational churches had to realize that this is not the compound that we think about now. It's beyond that. There is ultimately a message here for the church in America, too. As Pastor Sam articulates, there is a window of opportunity right now where there is a tremendous sense of, of hunger and desire and openness to the gospel, even as we see the push of materialism bearing down upon India in, in so many ways, yet utter degrees of poverty at the same time. And yet the biggest challenge that India faces is no different than the challenge we face here in America or anywhere on planet Earth. And that is a poverty of the heart and a poverty of the soul, the malnutrition that we experience because we do not know him, we do not serve him, or if we know him, we serve him only within the confines of the compound. And I think as Pastor Sam is suggesting, it's time to throw open wide the door and understand the need to respond to opportunities to share the gospel 
and to stand shoulder to shoulder with the church in India, just as we've stood shoulder to shoulder with each other inside the compound, to now do that outside the compound, to to engage in that appreciation for what it means to not just to have a heartbeat and a passion for Judea, but then understand that the Great Commission didn't end there. It began there, as we are then mandated to move from Judea to Samaria and to India and the uttermost parts of the earth. If you'd like to find out more information about the work of Pastor Sam and the amazing things that God is doing throughout the entire continent of India, let me direct you toward Mission India's website. It's an easy one to remember. That's missionindia.org, missionindia.org. If something you've heard in today's conversation with Pastor Sam has really touched your heart, and you'd like to see and explore ways in which you and or your church congregation can stand shoulder to shoulder with people like Pastor Sam and the work that God is doing in the continent of India today, why don't you consider reaching out to Mission India? They've got a speaker's bureau that could happily provide someone to come to your church and share more of not just the amazing things that God is doing in India today, but the amazing opportunity that the Lord and responsibility places before us today to be engaged in, again, sharing of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the end, it isn't how hard we work to try to reach up to God. It's the understanding that God came down that will change the world. More information again on the web at missionindia.org. That's missionindia.org. And Pastor Sam, we so much appreciate you taking some time uh, out of your travel schedule to be with us here. Welcome again to America. And we're going to be praying for you and your ministry there. Uh, Godspeed and keep up the good work. Thank you. Pleasure is mine. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you've watched the volatility on Wall Street lately, and these days it's practically impossible not to take note, you probably have a sense that, gee, this this seems to have a mind of its own. Some days it goes up, some days down, some days it seems to sit there static or go sideways. But at the end of the day, smart investors understand that as you're building momentum toward retirement, creating that nest egg that will take you to and through retirement, you got to be, as the old saying goes, you got to be in it to win it. The problem, of course, is how do you go about smartly investing in the stock market? How do you determine what your appetite for risk is going to be in relationship for your timeline for retirement? And how do you know what to buy? Do you need an expert to help walk you through all this? Well, if you do, we've got one on the phone right now and news about a very exciting event that's coming to the San Francisco Bay Area this weekend. We'll tell you more about that. But first, let's meet David Mitchell, founder and CEO of Tradeway. David, great to have you on the show. Thank you, Craig. Good to be with you again. Let's talk about this little sense of uh, nervousness that some people have about Wall Street. We certainly recognize the fact that there has been this bull run that's uh, well over 10 and a half years old, going to be 11 years old uh, in the spring of next year. Some say it could never have lasted this long, and yet there seem to be uh, no signs of slowing. While certainly there's a bit of cooling in economies 
Globally, Wall Street continues to remain strong. And, of course, therein, the wonderful opportunity for investors and people building assets toward retirement to take advantage of what's been happening as a means of, well, I guess, essentially making your money make money for you. But people get nervous about that. Give us your sense of where things are with Wall Street right now. And why is it important to have some vested interest, to have some skin in the game when it comes to building that critical mass toward retirement? Well, there's obviously nervousness out there. And a we have to understand, though, that most of that is caused by just lack of knowledge. I mean, when you when you don't know something, you fear that thing. And I think Wall Street propagates the idea that you have to be a rocket scientist to you know to deal with the stock market because they don't want you to deal with it because they want to trade with your money. Now, think about that. If they're able to do that, it's risk free for them, so they can trade in the market risk free using your money. And that's exactly what they're doing. So think about that for a minute. That's your hard-earned money. No one cares about it as much as you do. And our family, I was fortunate, Craig, I grew up in a fourth-generation family business type family. My great-great-grandfather got us in the oil business. And my grandfather had to learn how to deal with money because they were making a lot of it. So he learned to be a very good stock and bond investor. And we've passed those skill sets down through each generation all the way down to my grandchildren at this point. So about 17 years ago, my five grown children and I, they all work with me and our company. We decided we'd start to share these skill sets with brothers and sisters in Christ around the country. So that's what Tradeway has been doing now for all these years. And what you find out when you come to our first event, it's called Step One, Start Your Journey. 98% of the people in the room won't know a thing about Wall Street. Many of them never owned a business, so we started the ground floor. But what you're going to find out is it's not rocket science, it's just skill sets. And you need to come and hear this because you'll learn the skill sets that will take the fear away, and we teach you what the big boys on Wall Street do with your money and how they make money with it so that you can get the math in your favor like they do. Do you find that one of the biggest, perhaps, obstacles for most folks is that fear factor? And that fear factor basically sort of incubates in an environment of ignorance, meaning people think, gee, this sounds complicated. Gosh, I, I don't know that I can really wrap my mind around all of this. So they stay out of it. And then because of that, they don't understand. And therefore, they're fearful. They hear the reports on the news at night. The Dow was up 200. The NASDAQ was down three, whatever. And they just don't know how to process the information. As a result, they stay out of it. And when they do, is that libelous or or, um, potentially dangerous when it comes to building that critical mass that we're all going to need to supplement Social Security at retirement? It's, It's always dangerous to stay out because inflation eats your money up if you just stick it in a savings account. And you make very little interest now because the Fed has driven the interest rates down so low. So you need to get the skill sets and you need to understand how to get your money working to make money for you rather than you working to make money. There's a big difference. And uh, when you learn how to let your money make some money, you're in the best of the cash flow quadrants, if you've ever read that book. But it's uh, the investment quadrant is the best because you, you never create wealth if you trade your hours for dollars. So you have to leverage. And what we do is we teach you how to leverage the minds and the money and all the hard work that the people on Wall Street do every day. So you can leverage that for your own family. And and really, yeah, fear is a big problem, but pride's also a problem. We have 
some emotional things we have to deal with when we become stock traders. But I would agree with you, Craig. I think fear is the biggest one, and the best way to alleviate that is with knowledge. And in fact, let me uh, let me give you a scripture here that's that's pretty interesting because uh, the Bible teaches in Proverbs chapter two, verse three. It says, "Through wisdom is a house built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge." Shall thy chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches? A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. So we see that the Bible words that we would call skill sets today are knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And and the Scripture tells us so clearly that that will, if we gain knowledge and understanding and skill sets, that that leads towards our chambers being filled with precious riches. Now, you know, another problem, Craig, that some Christians have today is that they feel that you have to be poor to be spiritual, but the Lord wouldn't write such things as Proverbs chapter, I said chapter 2, but it's actually 24, Proverbs 24, 3 through 5. He wouldn't, written, he wouldn't write things like that, and many, many scores and hundreds and hundreds of other scriptures that deal with the blessing of wealth on God's children and the conditions that he says we have to fulfill for him to fulfill the blessing— he wouldn't put all that there if that were true. So I, I think we've been misled there. What God actually wants us to do, according to 1 Timothy 5, 8, 2 Corinthians 12, 14, Proverbs 13, 22, is to lay aside for our children and our grandchildren. You can't do that without creating a certain amount of wealth. You just can't do it. So he commands us to do that. I think if he's going to command us, he'll show us how. And so the scripture is full of uh, ideas about economics and finance and the family business, and we bring out a lot of those in Step One, Start Your Journey as well. And I think at the end of the day, for people to recognize that sometimes the parable of the talents is is misconstrued, and we think it's about the response of an evil of a master who comes back after a journey and uh, meters out levels of punishment. But it's really about accountability responsibility, and ultimately stewardship. And the one that invested wisely is the one that received the greatest reward. And so I think that parallel to our own stewardship of that which God has entrusted us to, um, it should be very clear cut. Now let's talk about this two-day event. Step one, start your journey. It'll be taking place this Friday and Saturday, centrally located in the Bay Area at the Fremont Marriott Hotel. And the good news is that you can register and attend the event for the entire household for just ninety nine ninety five, And plus, you'll receive an extra ticket to bring along a friend or a loved one, all of this with a full money-back guarantee. Give us a bit of a breakdown, if you would, David, as to what folks will be experiencing over the course of these two days. Well, by the way, that particular hotel is easy to get to. It's a great place to have an event. I just came back from doing a big summit meeting for Tradeway there, right there in your city. Met some wonderful people, so I know some of you guys will be back for this step one but when you come just just bring an open mind and listen because between when you get there and noon the first day you're going to be a little skeptical i'm sure because you've seen a lot of things offered out there but by time you get to noon what we're going to do is give you a lot of ammunition so that you fully understand why you can get the math on your side and that's exactly what the big boys on Wall Street do in order to make money. That's why they get so many millions of dollars of, of uh, bonuses every January. They're making money, so there is a way to do it. You just have to learn the skill set. And you'll you'll start to learn that, and right, I'm, I would say probably halfway through the first day, all of a sudden you'll move from being skeptical 
to going, aha, so that's how this is done. And that's what, that's the reason I keep teaching. I've done it so many years, Craig, but I stay just as excited because when I see that aha moment, that's what I'm looking for. But uh, it, it, it is tremendous. You, you need to realize we're going to start at ground floor. You don't need to worry about that you don't know anything about Wall Street. That's where we start. And by the end of the two days, you'll actually have skill sets that have potential to actually create cash flow in your family if you keep the rules, and that's what we teach you. So you should check it out. I mean, there, there's, there's absolutely nothing to lose to come take a look at it. And you know what? If you stay both days and you say, you know what, I love you, David, but this is not for me, we'll give you your $99 back. How about that? For That's you? a good deal. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, listen, knowledge is power. So even if you stay for both days and decide it isn't for you, you've learned something about the way money works, the way Wall Street functions, and that knowledge can serve you for a long time in the future. It is the Tradeway two-day event called Step One, Start Your Journey. It'll be this coming Friday and Saturday at the Marriott Hotel in Fremont. And again, it's just $99.95 for the entire household. And you'll also receive an extra ticket so you can bring along a friend from work, a neighbor or something. To register and get more information, go to Tradeway.com. That's T-R-A-D-E-W-A-Y.com, Tradeway.com. Or easier still, call toll-free 877-907-TRADE. That's 877-907-TRADE. Right now, just to show you what a nice guy David is, we're going to give away two tickets to callers number 11 and 12. You give me a call here at KFAX, 888-367-5329. That's 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. Callers 11 and 12. And we'll make sure you're going to Tradeways. Step one, start your journey this Friday and Saturday at the Fremont Marriott Silicon Valley. Again, for details and reservations, call 877-907-TRADE. That's 877-907-TRADE. Or go to Tradeway.com. That's Tradeway.com. And our thanks to Tradeway founder and CEO David Mitchell for being with us on this segment of Lifeline.